Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. On this episode, we talk with Regina Yeh who is the founder of Z-Ray. And Z-Ray is a magnetic, modern, and modular travel case for your personal care items, primarily liquids for when you go and travel on uh, on things like airplanes when there are those specific regulations and you can really take on liquids the normal way. Uh, Regina is making this you know, not only practical, but stylish. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, how to build a product from the ground up, how to get traction on platforms like Kickstarter, how to get this thing into consumers' hands. And we also talk about how to build and manage partnerships with factories and suppliers and producers abroad. Uh, It's something that so many physical products companies have to deal with. And Regina helps walk us through that kind of a process. It was great talking with her, great to learn more about her journey, her story, and here it goes. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. I'm going to turn it over to you, Regina. Um, the last time we, uh, I'd actually seen you in the product was you know, a little over a year ago, um, so I know that a lot of stuff has happened since then, but kind of bring us back to the beginning, You know how you came up with this idea, why you actually came up with this idea. And um, kind of give us like a brief gist of uh, of where you guys are right now. Okay, cool. Hi, guys. My name is Regina Ye. So uh, I started the company Zeray two years ago. At first, when I was a junior in college, I had the idea. I was taking an entrepreneurship class at the time in college. I actually studied computer science. So the previous summer, I had an internship abroad in Berlin. And um, I just remember doing a lot of like app design and thinking about the user flow and what the user were like in terms of like from the time they open the app all the way to like from start to finish. Um, and I was thinking, well, why can't we do that with the physical product? And sort of the final straw was when I came back to the U.S., I went to a tech conference in Texas and uh, I like really carefully packed all my personal care products and like the toiletries and like the oil and everything. And um, the moment I checked in and I opened my back uh, in the hotel in Texas and I just remember seeing everything leaked everywhere oh, no. and it was just like a heartbreaking moment that has happened so many times because I just love traveling and it's happened over and over again and that was like 2016 so that was the summer one like um Uber for X or like Tinder for Y is like super popular the shared economy and that was like startup and tech was being pushed to every single industry but I feel like beauty was overlooked and it was not even close to how hot it is right now. It wasn't getting any VC um, attention. So I was just thinking that um, there's got to be a better way to do it because everybody was chasing after the big words and the buzzwords. Um, But there's something that's just like really high frequency, happens all the time and staring right in front of me and then like nobody has done anything about it. So I just thought, well, um, somebody's got to do something. That's kind of the start of it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you, like many people, kind of uh, had a problem, thought of a solution. um, And unlike most people out there, you actually went and really developed the product. Could you walk us through like some of the early steps like that you had to take to actually, you know, uh, go from this being just an idea to to a physical uh, product that actually, you know, you could put in someone's hand and they could see exactly how it works? Yeah, for sure. It was quite a process. So as I said, my background is in software. 
So I've never really done anything um, in terms of developing a physical product. And unlike like building an app or building a website, there's very little information you can find online um, or just a lot of those kind of direct you in the end to Alibaba or like just random um, foreign websites that you don't really mm -hmm. know who you can trust and everybody looks kind of the same. Or a lot of the middlemen in the U.S., there are some agencies that kind of have like the resources, the sourcing stuff, and then they would just do, um, they charge a lot. And basically, I think it's like very unfeasible for um, people who are really just starting out. So I think in terms of product development, we had a few major milestones. The first one was um, we had about, so we, we had a prototype about a year into the development process. So um, at first I filed a patent like six months in right away. That was the first thing we did because, oh, wow. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I spent the winter break after my junior fall semester just to work on patent alone um, because patents actually have um, like, a time limit so they have an expiration date once you tell too many people you can't even claim ownership of the idea anymore so you have to like act on it early um and i learned a ton about that and just kind of how to protect your idea legally and that really it, it did seem like the legal fees did seem like a lot of like a big investment at the time but i think it really like paid off in the end um so that was a, a thing and then for prototypes the first step I took was actually just 3D printed prototypes on campus. We had 3D printers on campus and um, I built the first 3D prototype, like a, the CAD model. And I just went to the maker lab at the time and I just showed it to them. And I remember it took like two days to build, just print like two really ugly, very, very floppy uh, black triangles. And uh, I was just kind of, so I started running around and like showing people those triangles and say okay just imagine if these are cool and these are like actually like pretty and pink or like um different colors and they would do magnetic like they were close and open and it's like they're compact and stuff and some people just looked at me really confused um and some people actually like got it and i think um having the physical product kind of built or like um having like a physical model even just in front of you really gave me more like Hope and it was just like a better way to see the idea because it was like fresh off the plate. And the second milestone was actually about, um, I would say almost two years in, uh, a year and a half. So that was um, after like around uh, my senior year. So I had a full on prototype with colors and that was the one we used for our Kickstarter campaign. And that one, we actually, I went through about, 10 to 20 sort of like domestic and foreign prototyping services and compared oh, wow. all of them, talked to them. Um, the good thing is I do speak Mandarin fluently, so I can speak to the ones in China uh, directly. And that was really helpful. Yeah. So um, I put together all of those and just decided to go on with one that seemed most promising. And it took them about, they said it was going to be one month, but it actually took like three months to build the prototype alone. Mm -hmm. and um the prototype kind of changed everything so once i got it i was like this is it like it's actually possible like it's magnetic it does everything it was slightly bigger um but you know like that was the beginning and i made a video about it and i posted on kickstarter and started the project and people actually paid for it um and that's kind of uh where i started 
Awesome. Yeah. So two things that I want to talk about. Well, three things. So one is that, you know, this entire thing kind of shows that, you know, the, the ability to be resourceful is so key. Like you, you don't have a background in, uh, in product design or, or any kind of physical, um, physical space, you know, like you said, you were a software developer. Um, that's what you did, but you know, you saw an idea and you wanted to pursue it. And you know, especially since you were a student, you took uh, the resources that were available um, at, you know, schools. And when I was at UMass, you know, we we had 3D printing labs. We had all these places where you can, you know, show up with um, with designs. And, and there are people there who can help you actually um, create what you're looking to. Yeah, it'll cost some money. It'll take some time. But, you know, that's that's how it is. And then also you talked about, you know, how you kind of vetted like 10, 15 different uh, prototype uh, suppliers. Can you talk uh, quickly kind of about how... Like, what should someone look for when they're, you know, talking and negotiating with those people? Like, what, how can you tell that that person or, or that company is going to actually do a good job and not, you know, um, kind of promise something and then never deliver? And then, you know, you just wasted all this money and time um, where you could have actually been, you know, creating something. Like, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. To be fair, there's always a risk and you never really know until it's the end. Um, but I would say there are a few things you can do to sort of prevent the worst situation from happening. And it actually happened to us once. It wasn't during the prototyping phase, but it was during a production phase with our first manufacturer. Um, so I would say it's not what they say, it's how they kind of communicate with you. Mm -hmm. um, the speed of communication, like if they're very responsive, if they actually do research and give you like very uh, thoughtful answers and kind of answer your questions like within a, a reasonable amount of time because it's a, a constant back and forth like um, I just remember staying up like really late at night uh, when I had classes or like midterms the next day and still have to talk to them and make sure products get made mm -hmm. and um, if they kind of just understand your needs and start thinking from your perspective that's really helpful and the other thing is just it was the new it was a new product right nobody has ever seen it so um, at that time, it was a risk on their end as well. So there are people who are way too big for us, and then they wouldn't take on something like that. That's not like I didn't have a huge budget. It would be a very time-consuming pro project for them. Um, and then there are the people that are kind of just too small that you don't you don't want to like they seem like way too sketchy or kind of like a startup on their own. Um, so finding the balance, I think, is also the key. Where um, I really just ask for like reviews and uh, looking at their past work and uh, kind of like put out a few tricks to see how they responded to my questions and all together compare different like factors and also the, the details. I really think the details speak volume like way more important than what they say because the basic info and quotes you hear from everyone is kind of the same but if they treat you with respect even when they know it's not going to be a big deal like in the very beginning um, that really makes a big difference in my opinion. Great. Yeah. I mean, that's super helpful. Like I know that a lot of people who ended up developing these kind of products, um, you know, ended up sometimes, you know, mixing with uh, wrong manufacturers, people that, you know, either take their money and never create a product or just create something completely different. And like you said, research and understanding who the the manufacturer is, is, is so critical. And, and like you said, you know, you're never going to know for sure. There's always a risk. But being aware of, of acute things like, you know, their attention to detail, are they emailing you back, you know, within a couple hours or within like four or five days, these kind of things matter. So, so oh, super helpful that you yeah. said that. Can I just add on two more things? Actually, these are, you know, so like 
definitely find a good lawyer from the very beginning. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can save money on everything else, but just don't be cheap with the lawyers. Um, they really save you when it's like um, the worst situation. Like, cause they always think like, they've seen startups like over and over. They know the tricks and like the, the sort of bad yeah. happening business. So getting like getting a good lawyer, I think is a consider as an investment. Cause um, every single time I pay for like a good lawyer, I got my money back. Um, we had a really bad manufacturer in the beginning and uh, the deal was structured as I would pay him 50% upfront as a deposit. And then after I receive all the inventory of the products, I would pay him the rest of the money, but there was a delivery date. And for every day that was delayed, we would deduct a certain percentage. Um, and that was something that I never thought of, but my lawyer added on in the end. And that really just like saved us money or like just kind of made it like fair on our end. Cause he delayed the production by like two months. Um, yeah, that was that was just the other thing too, and the and also like I would say when you're small, like when you talk to people, they'll be like, oh, what's your number? Like, how? What's your budget? Or like, how much um, are you willing to spend? Or how many do you want to make? And then if you tell them it's a small amount, uh, they're just kind of be dismissive um, and sort of like be arrogant towards you, and don't let that happen. Don't let them like walk over you. Just say, mm -hmm. okay, like I'm still a customer. I have the money. I have the right to choose who I work with. Um, that's huge. For sure. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, critical. I'm really glad that you actually mentioned it. Like it, it might be hard when you're, when you're small and, you know, you might just be one person, but, um, definitely don't let anyone kind of like walk over you because if they walk over you at this stage, like it's just going to be so much harder moving forward. Um, and now to talk a little bit about your Kickstarter. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys raised, um, or, or had like 20,000, right around $20,000 in, yeah, in orders. Oh, wow. Okay. Over, yeah. Over. So can you kind of talk a little bit about like, you know, some of the things you did that helped make your uh, Kickstarter um, successful that helped you, uh, you know, really attract people to this product. And then, you know, after uh, the campaign ended, um, you know, kind of what happened there, um, you know, the positives and negatives and, and what do you, uh, what do you learn from, from the campaign? Yeah, for sure. So crowdfunding actually now is getting very competitive. It's kind of a science. Like some people who are out there doing crowdfunding, they're not like just a creator with an idea. They're a team, a full on company with like very good funding and like mm -hmm. uh, a staff of people just working like 24 hours when the campaign is running. I did not have that luxury when I started. So I was actually in college. I remember I like, I thought November 1st sounded like a good day. So I just picked November 1st. Yeah. It was the worst date ever because it was around midterms. Um, and also like, people like the first so a lot of projects launched on the first and we just got buried in the sea of like products that launched on that day um the other thing was that that like i didn't um, like fully understand it took me a while to fully understand like what kickstarter meant it took about like two months just in terms of preparation like the legal documents the videos um and getting the ads the email list and everything in place i did not have a very big email list but it's true that you should just think about everybody that could be helpful towards the campaign and also um if there are friends that are willing to pay or there are like customers that know about it that want to buy the product tell them to like line them up right before you launch so on day one you get a ton of traffic and it just like boosts you by a lot i think it's kind of like the same human logic where nobody wants to be the first um so the first people that really support a project when it's like zero percent yeah are those people that you kind of know or have seen you hustling all the way through so they're like, yeah, we trust you. We're going to like, you know, just cast a vote and hope this goes. 
somewhere. Um, and then once it gets to like 60, 70%, like people start seeing it or like, Ooh, like it's almost happening. I'm definitely going to do it. And then, um, that's, that's huge too. And also break it down into tiers. So like make sure people have the option to buy 10 of your products if they, if they want to, cause somebody did. And like some, some guy in the rain oh, bought wow. 10 of our products and I was like, Ooh, that's, that's cool. Like I didn't know who he was up to this day. <laughs> and then, um, but then there are also people who just like donated $1, which is still like super helpful, like be grateful for everything and then make sure you can still like deliver too. So have a very reasonable goal and timeline and be very communicative throughout the process. Um, it's huge as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like you said, it, it's it's not easy doing this alone, um, especially when you know you're competing against people who uh, have teams and and have so many more resources. But you know, it it goes to show that you know you can do really well if you learn very quickly. You don't have to have all the answers right right up front. Um, just be aware and understand that, and be really willing to just kind of learn as much as you can, and uh, it'll go a really long way. Um, and now to you know, talk a little bit more about uh, where you guys are with the product right now. Can you tell us kind of how the past few months have been going, some of the big um, kind of decisions and, and, uh, and updates that you guys have made? Um, you know, how did it actually end up um, going with, with everyone who ordered that Kickstarter product? Because I think the Kickstarter end, ended in, the, in like the summer, right? Um, it, ended, it ran for like 40 days, so it ended December of 2017, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm thinking of something else. <laughs> yeah. never mind. Um, yeah. gotcha. So it's been a while ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So I just kind of, that was a big question. So I'm just going to break it down into like small chunks. Um, what, what happened after Kickstarter? Um, like I was very nervous for a long, like a quite a bit. Cause I think in the middle it would plateau. So also like you have to like schedule waves of support. Uh, Kickstarter brings in about a quarter of the organic traffic. So, the rest of it, you just have to work on your own. Um, unless it's like really good and Kickstarter really likes it and then push it like to the front page, then of course you get more traffic. But usually people can't even see you. So um, what I did was also I scheduled my press release uh, during the Kickstarter campaign and I just had it coming in waves. So in the very beginning, I had like an article from Huffington Post and um, in the middle, I had something from like, um, where was it? Like Bostino happening and then like some other like retweet or just people sharing your posts and all of those, like I was just scheduling waves because otherwise it lose momentum. Cause usually it's just like, you see a huge spike in the beginning and a huge spike in the end, but in the middle, there's like no time pressure and a lot of people just die kind of in that Valley. So that was something to avoid as well. And after our Kickstarter uh, happened, actually that was the, the fun part. So we had the money. It wasn't enough, but it was like more like, um, validation from customers to say, mm -hmm. okay, now we want your product and we had customers that were paying. And that's a huge step for a, uh, for a startup to go from product to revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when that happened and investors love that too, because it's like people like are paying for your product, and before you even have a product, that's like huge. And believe it or not, even though we think it's like a pretty common thing, a lot of like the older people, they actually just they don't know you can even do that. Like, um, and they're always like so impressed when you say, oh, I have people paying for my product before I even make my product. So um, I actually, that was the Kickstarter ended in December. The following January, I flew to China and I spent about a month there just talking to manufacturers, negotiating with them, signing a deal with them. I had about um, five that I went to and I signed a deal with, in the end, one of them. 
and the guy seemed legit. He was making bottles for like Victoria's Secret and just a lot of like the big name companies. And oh, yeah. um, he was very nice upfront. But that's kind of where the thing we we're talking about earlier happened to me. So uh, <laughs> I think we we're just too small for him. Still, like he took us because it's like we're still money, but. Um, it was just the communication was really bad, and I think they screwed up a few things with the modes and uh, yeah. the production. So he just became really like just not responsive after a while. So that was like pretty hard, and I had to like call people and find other people in China to like go all the way there physically and just to literally be there and tell him wow. to go to the production line and get things done for us. <laughs> And if you don't get our bottles out, we're not leaving. And um, that sounds crazy, but like that was already because we had two months delay, and we actually lined up for a few like other shows, and we were talking to like manufacturers and press, but everybody was demanding like, okay, you have to send us a sample. So that's where we got stuck. Um, and I felt like, I think Kickstarter almost felt like I was owing people money. At the, uh, uh, not owing people money. I was owing people products at one point. Yeah. That um, they had paid for the products for so many months, and then. We just like I really wanted to deliver on time, not like one of the companies, not to be like one of the companies that just can't fulfill themselves. So that's that's huge for us as well to keep the brand, and I really wanted to use it as initial steps. So um, I think production took us about one, two, about eight months, um, all the way to the summer of 2018. So this past summer. We had the production finally done in July, and I got all the inventory shipped to me in August. And uh, everybody just got so excited when we finally saw the products, and they came in like boxes. And I just thought they were the prettiest thing ever. Um, and I spent about two to three days with two of my friends in Hamilton, Massachusetts. It was in somebody's garage at the time, and then we just like manually labeled and put them into like envelopes and ship oh, wow. them through USPS, all of us. And uh, that was like team effort and it was just so much work at one time. And, um, but it was just like so fun. Like we yeah. really read it and I felt so good to have everything out. And also the review started rolling in, right? So people were telling us, oh, we really like the product. I like love it, blah, blah, blah. And that felt great. Um, so that was kind of how we, like what happened after Kickstarter. And I would say, like, um, the thing is, so, like, I, for the longest time, I only thought about how to get the made so I can fulfill Kickstarter. And it was kind of, like, phases and, like, levels where I had a phase where just, like, how to get one prototype made. And then another phase, how to get a bunch of products made. And now all the products were gone. I was just, like, wait, what do I do now? <laughs> and I was so confused because I, I was just, like, I had the most naive idea, I thought, well, like, they're just going to go on their own. Like, they're the best thing in the world. Like, why wouldn't people buy it? Like, it would just disappear, like, on their own. They would, like, run out really quickly. And that did not happen, like, shockingly. So um, <laughs> I actually, for entire September, after we fulfilled the Kickstarter orders, I was just pretty lost the whole month. Um, wow. I was like, wait, we got barely any traffic on our website. Nobody's buying it. What do we do? And I started, like, just, like, talking to people who know more about sales and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think, like, I think I was still, like, my mindset at the time was still an engineering mindset. I did not transition to, like, a sales mindset. So I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. And there's got, like, somebody's got to do something about it. So I started looking around, like, trying to find salespeople to sell them for me or, like, sales agencies. And none of them really worked that well. Um, I've worked with quite a few of them. I think just, like, nobody knew more about the product than me at the time. So mm -hmm. 
um, I really had to do the initial steps myself as a founder. And now like there are people who are like doing different kinds of channels for us, but in the beginning it really wasn't um, that easy. So I just, I set up like booths and we like did pop-ups and uh, sort of like doing different conversations to figure out who the demographic was. And also at the same time, like photos and online presence that took another month. So we didn't have the website up until end of October. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, definitely pretty late uh, considering the fact that you already had like all these uh, products being shipped out to, to yeah, customers. I think it's just a constant learning curve for sure. Yeah. Um, and what happened was um, I think just like, especially the B2B end, like other companies just take things, take time. Right. So mm-hmm. for the first two or three months, it was just direct sales, but I started doing a lot of like outreaches to like, different platforms, distributors, and some of them came to us as well. Like we have some really good organic traffic and like just, I think they do a lot of scouting around. So they found us and then all together now, like we have about 10 distributors selling it across the world. We have some selling oh, great. the U S like say we have stores in like San Francisco, New York, carrying our products in Boston and then uh, stores in Singapore and uh, where Taiwan also selling our products. And um now we just we actually just sold out of our first production so we've sold about um like over like 1k units within like four months um which is really really exciting because like when things are not moving when inventory is just sitting there that's the most like no thing ever because like nobody wants your thing like that's so sad so um that was kind of just like a big learning curve um and really constantly pitching and explaining products to people like understanding user education and um that's huge. And I would say like when things are not working, it's really important to take a step back and then figure out like there's so many components to selling a product, um, not just how does it work or like uh, does it look good, the pricing, like making sure it's not what you think it is. So like at first we thought it was the price, but actually we're raising the price next time because people are telling like our customers are telling us to raise the price. They're willing to pay more like double wow. or um, double yeah. our retail price or like um, 60, like say 1.4, uh, 1.5 times our current retail price um, to, cause they just like it so much. But in the mm-hmm. beginning, nobody even wanted to pay like $30 for it. So I think yeah. things like take time to kind of warm up as well and sort of telling the story, creating the image, everything really comes together in the end. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, looking looking at this product right now, um, you know, for for the actual utility function, it is more on the expensive side, right? When you compare it to like say those little like bottles that you can buy, like a CVS or something, this is is way uh, much higher price point. But it's also much more of like a luxury item in a way, right? So it's like you're you're targeting a certain um, type of person, um, and and then, which is also interesting because once you started, you know, fully targeting that type of person, you're realizing that you can actually raise your price even more. Um, although it does obviously, you know, cut out a bunch of people who will never spend more than like $10, $20 on some kind of, uh, on something like this. You know, you bring in all these other people who could spend maybe $60, $70, $80 on a product like that. So, so I've um, actually thought about that too. And then what's going to happen is that we're creating different price tiers. So we have like an original version that's really just high end and we even create like limited run that's like really designer, like beautiful and have it be the high end status symbol sort of like product. And then mm-hmm. um, do that in smaller runs or like target certain demographics and like retailers when we do that. And then have a second tier and third tier that's cheaper or like lighter and slightly different design. 
um, and target those people that just really want the functionality. Those will still work really well, but they just won't have the design, the aesthetics uh, integrated. And they were also like um, working with some corporate gifting companies right now. So hopefully, eventually, your companies will pay for it. And that's kind of yeah. the ideal thing. Like you get it as a gift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, especially like um, I'm picturing like a consulting company or something, you know, might might just give this yeah, exactly, um, to yeah. a lot of their employees. Right. You know, if they buy in bulk, it'll cost them like, you know, $30, $20. Like, you know, what is that when they pay for business class, like flights anyway, um, right, all the exactly. time? So, yeah. yeah, and I think I think that's like a super interesting sale, you know, because this is a, a it sounds like a, a direct-to-consumer product, but there are also, you know, so many different avenues that you can take. Um, and right now, in terms of, like, your sales channels, uh, where are you guys seeing the most sales? Is it, like, in physical stores or is it online? Uh, what does that uh, distribution look like? We actually see most sales when we do events, offline events ourselves, when we do oh, pop-ups, wow. markets, and just, like, sales through us. I think what we need to do next to, is to actually educate people that carry our products and say there's a fixed way to demo the products. There's like a standard operating procedure that this is what you do when you receive the product. This is how you display it. And then all of those kind of really just did not exist before. We never had, a, yeah. like, if you search Zeray online, you can see like five to 10 different kinds of logos. We like switched <laughs> our logos a million times and um, never really decided on one. So now we have like a fixed brand presence and that's fixed. Um, it's like an iterative process where like if you didn't know who is your target audience like you wouldn't have a good logo that you felt confident about mm -hmm. and then if you didn't have like a good logo like your audience wouldn't be attracted so that's kind of like a back and forth um, now we actually also sell through distributors I think like getting onto like other platforms and selling through other stores is huge for us right now because they just buy a lot at the time and that is so much easier in terms of fulfillment and just everything on our end of course your margin gets less but if you count like advertising and like all the other spends like marketing spends direct is actually getting very expensive like facebook instagram all the acquisitions are actually getting very expensive so i wouldn't yeah. it's that much different uh for us and right now it's really just i want to get the products in people's hands and that's huge for us right now so yeah, for sure. And, you know, when it comes to, to physical products, um, you know, margin, uh, profit margin is always something that, you know, is kind of that can break a bit, uh, can make or break a business. Like um, a lot of people, uh, you know, get into the, uh, selling this kind of stuff and they spend way too much money on, you know, Facebook and social ads and like, you know, although it looks like they might be, they, they are making a ton of sales. Like you see all these guys on like Instagram and ever, everywhere saying like, I'm doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in That's Shopify that, sales. That is such a thing. Like the bluffing, like you see all the yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you did like half a million dollars in Shopify sales, but the product cost you 200,000, spend another 250,000 on ads. And then, yeah. you know, the rest uh, kind of cut in and it took you like two or three years. So it's like, that kind of stuff is, uh, it you know, it kind of kills a lot of businesses. And then, so in terms of investment, can you talk about like the investment that you've gotten so far and what your plans are uh, for that um, in the future? I've actually haven't taken any outside investment yet. It's all just bootstrap to date. Oh, um, okay. And I think a, a few factors really contribute to it. So one, um, I. I'm a solo founder, so now we, we do have a team. But like for the for a very long time, kind of just just me working in the dark, 
uh, figuring <laughs> things out and really believing the product and trying to convince people. And then more people start to see the value of it and then just decided to join, which is great. And then start to like, they start to invest money and time into the projects. And that was really helpful. But I think as a solo founder, you have a limited bandwidth. And um, I was a student at the time, so I do not like have a very like vast network of like VC friends or like banker friends that I can just go ask for help. Yeah. So I decided to just focus on building a really solid product that would get sales. And I think that speaks louder than like a 21 year old, like a 20 year old that doesn't have experience. So uh, that's one thing. And um, the other thing is it's different for this industry. So for consumer. For pharma, you can be a public company without a real product um, that people are still willing to invest in it. And for consumer, usually investors don't get in unless it's post-revenue. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, unfortunately, I think I've spoken to a few people. And actually, I do know some companies that raised money before they even had a product. Like, I was speaking to some other, like, Kickstarter company when I was doing Kickstarter. And we sort of cross-promoted. And they gave up a third of the company for 50k and that was just ridiculous wow. um like they just you wouldn't get a good evaluation um unless people really believe in you and that just it's tricky so it's like a chicken and egg thing and then what people call nowadays is like a friends and families round and then you can just raise pretty much from people you know or like if you have like wealthy relatives and stuff or friends yeah. but again like it's it's the toughest thing to build a physical product and people do say like hardware is hard for a reason <laughs> Um, so I think Kickstarter is a good way to do it. But then now like the bar is getting high because you have to invest a lot of money and time to even just build up Kickstarter traction. Really, um, I don't know. Like it's just, it's really hard. Um, yeah, but then for fundraising, now we do have revenue. And I think like sales, like customer money, always remember like customer money is better than investor money. There are some startups out there that actually make money off of investments. I feel like it's just like there's a weird... Um, now it's kind of starting to like go away, but there's a halo around VCs and investments and they do invest in very, like understand that investors, Angel, they usually want like at least 10 times return and VCs, they want 20 times more return within five, yeah. 10 years. And not every single kind of business fits into that like category. So make sure that you have a proper expectation and make sure they have a proper expectation as well. And in the beginning, it's just too risky. So it's very hard to get any investment. Um, what I did was actually I had some saving myself and I asked my parents. So at the time they were like planning on sending me to uh, business school and I was like, okay, so um, what about like just use part of that business school money and not even all of it, like just say, let's use one year business money. Um, Cause I skipped two years in high school actually. So I kind of, I feel like I oh, saved wow. some money and um, I was like, okay, can I just have like some, some back and then just pretend like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in school for a little bit more. And, um, cause I graduated like 20. So I feel like I could spend like a year or two, just kind of experimenting yeah. things around. And it's definitely a privilege, but you know, like this thing is so like, um, hard to do and risky. You just got to take every single advantage you have. Like that's what people are doing. So that's really the game. And, um, I told them, okay, so I'm going to learn a lot by building a product and they, to this day, I don't think they believe in the product. Like they're like, who are these really? people that are buying your thing? Like they're crazy. And I'm like, at least they like it. Like, um, yeah. So I think just, they don't like, cause they're not the target demographic. So they don't fully understand like 
the value of the products, but um, they were just like, okay, maybe you'll learn some stuff. And actually started to, like I started paying them back afterwards a little bit too, but then that was uh, the initial start as well. So I had some savings in that and then Kickstarter money uh, put together and now we're raising our first round. So I'm raising like a small pre-seed money, um, talking to some local investors, mostly in Boston, New York, and that's going to allow us to push out a few more like products and expand the product line. And we actually have some big deals we're talking about. And if we get those deals, we need some money to kind of grow and just expand. Yeah, I think that this this has like a lot of poss- a lot of room to grow. Like, uh, I'm excited to see what happens. And as we kind of you know wrap this up, I'd uh, you know want to hand it over to you. Um, shout out your product. Uh, you know, tell everyone out there who's listening where to go to to buy this, and then also uh, the best place uh, to connect with you if anyone um, you know wants to reach out or or is just interested in in what you're doing. So currently, you can buy products on. The- myzirai.com so it's m-y-z-i-r-u-i.com and you can also buy it on amazon it's amazon prime so just go on amazon and search zirai go case or like zirai z-i-r-u-i and then those should pop up i would say like amazon's the best place right now because we're running low on stock to be honest (laughs) on our end um and we're launching we're launching new products in may so definitely look out for that and our instagram is like myzirai um to connect with me. So for all of my social media, my handle is always at Regina Z Y E. So it's that for Instagram, for Twitter, for medium, for everything. And uh, my email is Regina at miserly.com. So definitely reach out. Awesome. There you have it guys. We're going to link to everything uh, that you just talked about um, in, in all the uh, information, all the posts. Um, but yeah, Regina, it was really awesome talking with you. It was really great to learn more about this product, more about your journey, um, and, and to see like all the kind of plans that you have moving forward. It's super exciting. And, and thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Even share it with your friends if you found the lessons valuable. We do the show every week, so stay tuned for more episodes. And till next time.